You're listening to Muscles, Motherhood, and Motivation. I'm your host, Chloe Puff. Well, hi. It is so nice to have you on. I'm super excited. This was very, very uh, spur of the moment. And (laughs) I'm actually excited to see how this is going to unfold. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Chloe, for having me. My name is Dr. Lindsay Durand Masumi. I am a pelvic floor physical therapist outside of Northern Virginia, and I am super excited to be here to talk about, you know, all things pelvic floor, pregnancy, postpartum, and what you can kind of expect from that. So this is my absolute passion. I love talking about this. Um, Anyone who will listen to me, I will talk (laughs) to you about it. So yes, this, this is my jam here. I love it. Well, and it's so funny because, you know, when we think of clients, the clients don't necessarily uh, obsess over the science of it as much as maybe you and I do. But, um, you know, hopefully some other people can get equally excited. But I, I do want to hear some of the science stuff because I think it is important. Um, people hear me talk about it all the time. So I would love for you to kind of give a background on how you got into this into the whole pelvic floor world. Right. Sure. So as a, uh, well, I guess I was probably 13 at the time or so I was a competitive gymnast, had quite a few injuries, ended up in physical therapy myself. Uh, so I decided at a pretty young age, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a physical therapist and I had no idea that pelvic health PT existed. Um, I didn't know it was a thing, which is kind of ironic because when I was a gymnast, I had actually stress incontinence with Mm. tumbling. Like I literally would pee myself and it didn't seem like there was anything I could do. You know, it didn't matter if I had like just gone to the bathroom, if I hadn't drank anything all day, like I would pee on the hardest tumbling passes. Yep. So again, I'm deciding I wanted to be a physical therapist, um, you know, set my mind to that for many, many, many years. And even into PT school, when I started finally, um, I guess almost 10 years later, after I made that decision, I was going to be a PT. I went into PT school and I was like, I'm going to do sports PT, uh, which is if you've ever talked to a physical therapist before, a lot of people will say that they go into school thinking like, I'm going to work with professional athletes. And like, that is what I'm going to do. And like, I was set like professional athletes, professional athletes. I had done like, I was a strength and conditioning coach. I was a certified personal trainer. I majored in exercise science. And so I was like, gung-ho about this. Yeah. Well, um, in undergrad, I was involved in an independent research study and it actually, it was like super random how it happened, but I had a professor and I needed, I needed to do independent research to graduate um, as part of my program. And he was like, I'm actually thinking about doing like a study on high heel shoes. Is that something you'd be interested in? And I was like, yeah, actually that'd be really cool. (laughs) Like that's something really applicable. You know, a lot of women wear high heel shoes. I'd be interested to learn more. So we paired up with the PT program. Um, this is at Creighton university in Omaha, Nebraska. We paired up with the PT program there. And the professor that we paired up with was a pelvic and women's health physical therapist. Awesome. And so she was doing some research on pregnancy and, um, center of balance and like basically how we like balance when we're pregnant. So that was kind of my, (laughs) right, right. Yeah. Lack thereof. Exactly. And so, um, that was kind of my first introduction. I was like, Oh, there's like PTs that do this. And so the more I learned about pelvic health PT, I think at the beginning I was kind of like, Oh, it's just people who treat like older women with stress incontinence. It's like, like, that's really all you're doing is like treating people with like urinary problems or like bowel problems. Um, and at the time I was like, I can't even like talk about poop. Like what? No, absolutely not. <laughs> and yeah. And the thought of like doing, cause as a pelvic health PT, you will do internal exams. So like internal oh, yeah. vaginal exams or rectal exams. And I was like, no way. There's like literally no way I could ever <laughs> do that. So I was kind of like turned off from it for a bit. Um, and then I went to my very first conference, my first year of PT school, and just like absolutely fell in love. I was like, wait, this is like really cool. You get to work with pregnant postpartum population, pelvic health across the spectrum. Yeah. And the more I learned about it, the more one comfortable I got with it. And then two, the more I realized how needed this is. There are oh, so yeah. many people out there, women especially, um, who deal with their pelvic floor problems for no joke, decades yep. sometimes. And just think it's get... normal. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone thinks it's normal. And so, um, yeah, the more I learned about it, I was like, okay, this is something that like, if I can do this, 
it's going to change the world. Absolutely. You know, it's going to change people's lives. And, um, I can work with athletes in this capacity too. Absolutely. Yes. And so that was like kind of the game changer for me where I was like, wait, I could work with like crossfitters with leakage or triathletes with leakage or prolapse. Or again, I have, um, I have a patient currently, she goes to orange theory, um, seven days a week and she's pregnant with her first baby. And so it's, I mean, it's like things like that. You get to work really with, um, I mean, there's so many populations in the pelvic health world, but I kind of found my niche in this like higher level athletes with pelvic floor complaints. So you kind of got the best of both worlds. You got your high performers and you also got pelvic floor. Right. Right. So yeah, it kind of came full circle here. Um, and I, like I said, still get to work, work with those high level athletes, but more focused on that pelvic floor component, which like I said, is truly life-changing for a lot of people. Um, so was very turned off about it at first. And the more I learned, the more I realized that like, this is truly amazing. And as you can probably tell, I'm very passionate about it. Oh yeah. I love this. I love this. Well, and I think it's, it's crazy too, because I think the more comfortable just as a society or just let's start with women, the more comfortable we are, the more open we're going to be to seeking, you know, treatment or strengthening or whatever it is, um, that we need like that. That's honestly exactly why I stepped into the space. Now I don't have, um, a degree. I don't get to say Dr. Chloe, which I think would be phenomenal. Um, but I, like in my scope of practice, I just like to help people create an awareness around their, core and pelvic floor and be able to say, Hey, you know what? looks like you're dealing with a a lot. You should go in and see a PT. Um, because you know, as a personal trainer, you're not going to be doing any internal exams or anything like that, but man, that's, it's great. Cause this space is so, I I feel like now I'm seeing more people kind of pop out of the woodwork, but in the same breath, I still think there is so much work to be done as far as awareness and, you know, getting, getting the, the client, the potential client or patient comfortable with working on those types of things, because until you realize it's an issue, you're not going to, right. If we just keep thinking it's normal when we, you know, jump on the trampoline and pee our pants, uh, (laughs) people are not going to go in. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's something as a society, we have definitely, um, normalized a lot of pelvic health problems and especially for women. So I think, uh, a a statistic I heard one time, you know, don't quote me on it specifically, but one time I heard, you know, it takes the average female pelvic health patient about 11 doctors to finally get them sent to pelvic floor PT, 11 different providers they will see for their issues before they finally get the care that they need men. It's like, they go in, they're like, I have leakage, I have pain, I have this problem. And it's like, immediately they get referred and like get it taken care of. It is a totally different world for women. And again, it's, we've, we've normalized as a society, a lot of these issues. So changing that narrative is the first step. I, I didn't realize like 11, even two providers would be one too many. Like that's crazy. I, I personally, and feel free to jump in on this. I personally feel like That's partially to do with number one. I mean, just history says, you know, you're not special. Women give birth in the woods all the time. And, you know, and then Beyonce, who uh, (laughs) has babies and then gets back to business, but she has people, she has help. And, you know, obviously, since we're not living in, you know, the times where we had to hunt our own food and there was, (laughs) you know, no real structure in society it's crazy to me that, Mm -hmm. you know, our lives, our lives are longer now. We should be able to go in. And then there's the other side of that where, um, where it's like healthcare, just in general, that whole BS of a system, uh, as you can tell, I am very (laughs) strongly opinionated as far as healthcare goes. It's like, you know, most people can't even go to the doctor because it's too expensive or it's too inconvenient because of all the loopholes you have to jump through specifically in the United States to be able to even get that sort of help. Mm-hmm. And then when you do, and you know, pregnancy as an example, up until you have your baby, it's like, it's the focus is on mom, 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 how are you doing? How's your body doing? And then as soon as you have the baby, it's like baby has like what, 10 follow-up appointments in a short span of time. Meanwhile, mom gets one and then they're like, all right, well in five weeks you can have sex again. Good luck. Yes. And that's yeah. it. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. The U S healthcare system. Um, wait, can I cuss on here? Absolutely. Okay. They do a really, really shitty job of caring for women. And if you just like, if you just look at the history at the research, um, women's health research is so far behind research of, of men. It's ridiculous. Like they didn't let you do research studies on women until like, I don't know, the eighties or the nineties, because they thought that the fact that women had babies would make them like there was too great of a risk in, in research to include women because of the fact that they're the ones who have babies. So we are so far behind on the research and there are a ton of medical professionals, even physical therapists who don't know that pelvic PT even exists, let alone that. You know, it's crazy because like when, like, sorry, I totally jumped the gun. I mean, when I went in after, um, you know, postpartum follow-up and I was, you know, having all these issues, um, you know, because of tearing and all these other things, uh, she kind of was like, well, I don't know how to fix that. Like, good luck, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. do some, do some planks, which (laughs) I loved my OB. Like she's really great at what she does it's still astounding to me that there is a huge lack of disconnect and the support just kind of comes to a screeching halt. Like there Mm -hmm. has to be some better, I don't know, like what would you even call it? Like a system, I guess. I don't know. It's just like, there's no, there's no follow-up. It, no, it's mind blowing. Right. Well, and if you think about it too, if we think physiologically, just like at, at, I mean, how muscles work, how joints work, how ligaments work, um, how, how the body heals six weeks is a super arbitrary number. Um, that mainly just says that your uterus has shrunk down to its original size. I don't remember feeling good after six weeks. I was like, no. I will not be having sex. Thank you very much. (laughs) No. Yes. Yeah. So six weeks really isn't enough time to heal the muscles. It's not enough time to like for the pelvis really to come back together and like stabilize. If you're breastfeeding, um, you definitely have hormones that allow for increased laxity after that. Um, I mean, things are just totally different. So six weeks is a super arbitrary number that we know, like, I mean, if you went and like tore your quad or your bicep or your calf or any other muscle in your body, they'd be like, this is going to be like a good, like, you know, four to six month recovery. Yep. And then you're not going to do anything. And, Mm -hmm. you know, rice, rest. Yes, Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. But for whatever reason, you know, people have babies and then we tell them six weeks and like, you're good. You can go do everything, everything that you did in a span of six weeks. And it just like, it blows my mind that. Yeah. Like there's nothing taken into consideration other than, oh, your like stitches are healed. If you had them or like, oh, your uterus looks good. You've stopped bleeding. Great. You are like set to go. Um, (laughs) And that is not how it should be. Like very rarely are people like good, ready to return to all levels of exercise at six weeks postpartum. Yeah. And I mean, the, the emotional and societal pressure is immense for women to feel like Not only should they just have their shit together because, you know, they just, they had a baby and like, good for you. You're a badass. And then like, oh, you should, you should be dealing with all these issues um, down the road. In fact, you should just bring your pre baby clothes to the hospital because you should just snap right back. And then I see like, and I see people that I've grown up with posting pictures in the gym when I know they just recently had babies. And I'm like, I love that you want that for yourself, but oof, my heart hurts seeing that because you don't even know the level of like emotional and physical damage you are doing to yourself long-term by jumping back in that early. There's no reason for it. Yeah, no, there really is no, um, no reason to jump back to that level. I mean, I definitely have patients where it's like, the idea of maybe like sitting and resting for the whole six weeks, it's, it's not possible, especially if you have other kids, like yeah. you have to be able, you know, to like care for your baby and get yeah. up and like move around in that capacity. But like, you don't need to be doing planks or squats right. or burpees. And then the amount of people that tell me that they go and they're like, Oh, I got the six week clearance. I'm going to go for a run. I'm like, yeah. hold on. I still doing? don't like to run. I'm fully capable, but I still don't like to run. <laughs> like, no, no, thank yeah. you. That's no. And I think, I, I think also we just as, and I can, I'm only speaking for myself really, but I get the general sense that women want to feel strong, mm-hmm. 
And so after having a baby, it's like because of the pressure and because of the pressure we put on ourselves and society puts on us and our spouse even, or, you know, our friends, the people we're surrounded with, that we should, you know, we're comparing ourselves to celebrities who have the capability because they have the resources to rest properly. They have people to help them get back on track. They have people to stay up at night with their babies. They're not dealing with all the things necessarily. And so to me, it's just like, it's, it's just, it's so baffling. I can't, Mm -hmm. I cannot wrap my mind (laughs) around this, but I think for me, like I, I wanted, I was going stir crazy. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I could not sit still, but what was hard for me being an athlete prior to that. And, you know, up until almost the last week of my pregnancy, I was teaching up to 30 hours a week on my feet, um, dance classes at the time. And I don't know. I just like, I felt this pressure to jump back into the activity, not just because, you know, people would expect it of me, but because I was, I was like, Oh my God, I'm used to moving. I I need to get up. I need to move. And it was so hard for me to have to kind of humble myself and realize through that experience, it's okay to kind of start from like a different square one to rebuild Mm -hmm. function. So then those activities are more accessible and more enjoyable down the road. Because mm-hmm. I mean, with my first pregnancy, constant pain, second pregnancy, I had known better. I was already starting to, you know, certify and do all those things. And so I had a much better recovery experience, but not everybody's, you know, going to be like, hmm, this needs to change and do the research for themselves. Right. Exactly. And I think you bring up a good point too, that like how active you are in your pregnancy will really determine how fast, um, and how, capable you are of returning to exercise postpartum. So I think there's a lot of people too, who, you know, they kind of go through their pregnancy. Maybe they weren't super active. Maybe they had a lot of like pelvic pain, back pain, pubic symphysis pain. Um, they don't do a ton and it makes, at least from what I have seen their birth, a lot more difficult and the postpartum recovery significantly more difficult. Now if they are active all the way up through like basically when baby is baby is born, they're going to have a much quicker, um, birth, less complications, and usually a quicker postpartum recovery too. And those are those individuals sometimes, you know, like one week postpartum, you can get them starting on like some lower abdominal, you know, transverse abdominus core engagement, um, starting to work on just like deep belly breathing, trying to reconnect with those pelvic floor and core muscles. Um, I mean, those are the people they can start doing that pretty much right away. And they, they're in pretty good shape by, you know, six weeks postpartum, but, uh, how, how active you are in your pregnancy and what you're able to do during pregnancy really plays a big role in, in what you're going to experience postpartum. Oh yeah, I agree. Well, and what's funny about what you said for me, ironically, I actually had, um, I was super active, but because I wasn't training my body to or, or initially my, with my first pregnancy, I wasn't training my body to accommodate pregnancy. I was just continuing to do the things without really any modifications. I ended up with, you know, a severe diastasis. Like I, I'm a Scorpio. Sometimes I get a big ego. Like, so for me, it was like, I just need to prove this to myself that I can still do it. You know, mama got it. (laughs) And I really regret that. I wish I would have allowed myself to rest when I needed it because I ended up I ended up actually having a very difficult birth because I was so hypertonic, um, Mm -hmm. that I, you know, I had a relatively quick labor, but like, you know, boy, oh boy, it just, (laughs) things, things were not as, as smooth sailing as I had, uh, I guess wanted for myself. And I, I experienced so much pain. And then I'm looking at these, you know, these other women doing CrossFit through their whole pregnancy. And I'm like, I just want to do that. (laughs) It made me feel really terrible. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I saw also, let me know what you think about this. I saw, um, on IG, I was scrolling. Um, it's this pole dancer that I really like. I won't throw her name out there because I, you know, respect. Um, but she's, I think like maybe eight months, right. And is still doing pole work, but I can literally see the intro abdominal pressure. Like I can see a huge dome and I'm just, I'm like, stop it. Just stop it. Just modify, please. Like that's going to be such a pain in the butt to have to rehab. There's no need to push yourself that hard. Yes. Oh, 
Right. And what I've seen too, in regards to that, um, you kind of have two sides of the spectrum. There's like this whole group of people that are like, when you're pregnant, no core work, like don't do any abs, like do not do crunches, no sit-ups, like no core work because of the, the risk of a diastasis. And then there's this whole other side of the spectrum. That's like, do it all. It doesn't matter. Um, Happy medium. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Let's find ourselves in the middle here. Like, yes, people absolutely need to be doing some kind of core work during pregnancy. That is how we really stabilize this whole pelvis, how we protect the pelvic floor as baby continues to grow. You know how we could kind of keep you out of pain again. That is super necessary. You need that core strength after baby is out to like get up to like sit up in bed, just stand up to carry your baby to like feed your baby, all of these things, put the Um, car seat in the car. Oh my God. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so if you have just spent the last, you know, nine months pushing your abs out and creating that separation, like you mentioned, it's going to be a, uh, a pretty difficult thing to rehab on the side. And And rather than like bracing the core and learning how to hug baby to you and, Mm -hmm. you know, Cause I always, I always try and teach clients that the core is like a pressure system. And so it's, you know, it's important to think about where the pressure is going when you're doing an activity. If you can't manage that pressure, then you shouldn't do that activity until you can manage it at a lower level. Exactly. Exactly. And that's absolutely, yeah, that's what I teach my pregnant patients. That's what I teach my postpartum patients, especially, um, postpartum, you'll still see coning and doming if they have a a separation. It doesn't Mm -hmm. just go away, you know, once baby's out of there. Um, and that pressure management too, gives me a lot of feedback on like what's going on in the back, what's going on in the pelvic floor. If you have pressure lost in the front, like if you're seeing coning or doming, chances are you're probably having pressure lost in that pelvic floor, in which case you could end up with, you know, leakage, a prolapse. Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of things can go wrong in the pelvic floor, but pressure loss is a big indicator. Um, it's, I call it a yellow flag. It's not quite a red flag, but it's like, Hey, there is something going on that if we don't correct this, we could be in bigger trouble down the road. Mm, Yeah. That makes sense. So, okay. I would, (laughs) I would love for you to kind of debunk some of the common things, or at least just enlighten us on some things that maybe, maybe we don't talk about all the time. So for example, Kegels ready, go. (laughs) Yes. Kegels. I think, um, especially if you talk to your gynecologist or any, anyone who's not a pelvic floor PT, they will say Kegels are the answer that is pelvic floor PT is Kegels. And that is so false. Um, a Kegel is basically just a squeezing of your pelvic floor. If you think about like your bicep, it is like doing a bicep curl. Yep. That is it. And not, and it's not even the relax. It's not even the straightening of the bicep afterwards. It's just the, the squeeze, the contraction. Mm -hmm. And all it does is it tightens those pelvic floor muscles. So in most people, we, uh, don't need any more tightening of the pelvic floor. (laughs) The majority of people, like your pelvic floor is good. We just, we need it to function dynamically, as I like to say. So we need it to go through these movements of contraction and full relaxation. So if our focus, (laughs) yes, that full, yeah, we need that full lengthening and that full contraction there, especially if we're going to do like high impact activities, if we want to run, um, Mm -hmm. you know, if we want to cough, sneeze, laugh without leakage, that kind of stuff. So typically people who do Kegels, again, all you're doing is contracting that pelvic floor. So you're really only training those muscles on how to get tighter. You're not even teaching them how to come out of that Kegel. So again, Kegels, um, are very rarely the answer. There are very, very, very few patients that I give Kegels to. Yeah. I would never, I would never prescribe that as an exercise, maybe just to like, so you notice where it is, like yep. how to, how to activate it. But then exactly. I mean, dynamic is exactly the word I would have used there. It's just like, you have to think about how that one tiny piece of the puzzle fits into the full picture. I think that's, I mean, that's part of what I enjoy most about teaching clients about mm-hmm. pelvic floor, because it's like what, you know, already that's a, that's an important part, but it's not as, you know, be all end all as society makes it seem. I feel like that's like a very like 1970s, 1980s type of, um, prescription. It's just, yes. Yeah. Just right. Yeah. <laughs> and I always tell people to like one, the pelvic floor doesn't function in a vacuum. And mm-hmm. so like, it doesn't make a ton of sense to just train those pelvic floor muscles, either like laying down or seated. Like if all you're doing is just contracting the muscle again, that's like me just like flexing my elbow or like, you know, activating my quad. 
Like, what is that really doing in terms of improving my function or my capacity, my performance? It's really not doing a ton. And again, if you're only doing your Kegel laying down or seated, again, it's, it's like doing my bicep curl with no weight. All I'm doing is just bending my arm and straightening it. Yeah. And so like, I'm never going to be able to curl, you know, 30 pound dumbbells. If I'm only just practicing with my arm, like my strength is never going to get any better. My endurance is never going to get any better because the load is not appropriate for those muscles. So just like every other part of the body, you know, pelvic floor functions like that. So we have to be looking, you know, what is the appropriate way if we do need strengthening, how do we strengthen the pelvic floor functionally? Because Kegels is not the way Uh, I can tell you that right now. Kegels is not how we're going to strengthen it. Kegels are canceled. We're done. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's too much. Um, I, well, and I was thinking about this today too, like, because my brain just operates on, um, all the tabs open all the time. Uh, and so I was thinking about like, you know, my next like piece of content. And I was thinking like, if you want to get stronger in that activity, you have to do that activity. Mm -hmm. And the same thing goes with, you know, your pelvic floor health and your core health. If you want to strengthen your core to be able to run or box or weight train without, you know, feeling pelvic pressure, you have to run, you have to Mm -hmm. box, but you have to learn how to do those things, activate the pelvic floor and the core in conjunction with the activity. And so it's, it's good to have some guidance on how to actually break those movements down into more Mm -hmm. manageable pieces. So then we can feel those muscles activate and eventually we will get to that activity. And I think it's that lack of patience because Mm -hmm whether it's societal pressure or pressure on ourselves or, you know, pressure from your mother-in-law to look good for her baby. Uh, you know, that's a whole other story. But <laughs> I've, I've had clients like that, like your mother-in-law really said that to you. That's really horrible. I'm so sorry. But anyway, I, I just think it's so important for us to remember how things work together and to actually like, you know, not be afraid of these activities because there's mm-hmm. a lot of fear then around like, okay, what should I do? And what shouldn't I do? Yeah. So do you have any, like, do you have any kind of general basics that you could outline that would be, you know, this is an activity that's quote, okay. And not okay. I don't like using that because it's very um, restrictive, but maybe maybe you get a Mm. sense of that. Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, the the famous PT answer is always going to be, it depends. Yes. <laughs> um, it depends on the person. It depends Absolutely. on their condition, what they're dealing with. Um, my typical, like, I guess, screen, what I'm looking at before people return to like higher level activity or even just gentle, you know, body weight activity. I'm looking or at least asking them, like, are you having any pelvic pressure or heaviness with this? Mm -hmm. Um, Even just like in standing in your day to day, are you having any leakage? Are you having any doming, coning? Um, Are you having any back pain, pelvic pain, hip pain? Those kinds of things. That's more what I'm looking at in terms of determining what people can do. If those things are good, like, hey, let's go for, again, whatever you need to do. So if it's someone who's trying to get back to running, all right, well, let's start with, um, if you're good, you know, with your day-to-day and all those things, you're not having leakage, heaviness, pressure, pain, and just your day-to-day, let's start with like a single leg balance. Um, always starting lower impact and then kind of progressing from there. So for running, running, for instance, they're going to need, um, good core strength. They're going to need good pelvic floor strength. Um, they're going to need that single leg stability because running is just going from one single leg stance to the other. You know, they're going to need, um, endurance in their muscle and like the hips in the core in the glutes in the calves. Um, again, not just pelvic floor. Yeah. So really kind of looking again, like you mentioned earlier, breaking down those movements, what do they need to be able to do, um, to get back to this task and then kind of basing it off of again, are they having any leakage, heaviness, pressure, pain with these activities? That's really what I care more about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Cause again, it's going to be totally different depending on each person, but you know, reconnecting with that core pelvic floor, getting all of those muscles just surrounding the pelvis, surrounding the pelvic floor functioning optimally. And ideally again, without pain, pressure, leakage, like that's, that's what you're going for there before we start progressing into further, um, higher level activities. Yeah. Well, I don't think a lot of people realize the impact 
pregnancy has on your posture long-term, like there's (laughs) your body just doesn't magically shift back. If you think about, you know, use it or lose it, your body is going to shift so much. Typically. I mean, there's usually like a lordosis, which for those of you listening, it's like kind of an arching in the lower back. Um, the pelvis is tilted forward. So imagine like a bucket spilling water out the front. Um, so there's a lot of like tightness in the hips, tightness in the low back and then length in the front, which makes it like, because that's how you were for nine months or at least six, uh, where, you know, and then this laxity that's, that's surrounding the joints and all this, all this stuff. So if you, if your belly and your uterus doesn't snap back immediately after birth, your posture isn't going to either. And so, like you said, like, that's just one piece of the puzzle. So actually, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at things like posture and how the glutes are functioning to help support, you know, off offset the core a little bit and all that stuff. Like those are things that I think people don't account for either. And so there's this overemphasis on, oh, you got to heal your core, heal your core. But there's so many other components in order for that core work to actually function. Yeah. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point too. Like on usually on like the first couple visits with my patients, we are talking about posture positioning. Um, what are they doing in their day to day that could be contributing to some of those symptoms? Again, some people who see me are just there for like, you know, they want general clearance to return to exercise, but most people are having some sort of symptoms again, whether that's like back pain, pelvic pain, pubic synthesis pain, leakage, prolapse, that kind of stuff. They're usually, I mean, they're usually having some sort of issue. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. (laughs) I mean, it happens. We're just so excited about things about pelvic floors. Yes. Yes. I remember. I'm like, I'm back on track now. Anyway, we we look at a lot of their day-to-day things. What are they doing? What could be contributing to some of those symptoms? Um, so, you know, we're looking at like, how are you feeding baby? What's your setup at home? What's your chair like? Do you have a rocker? Are you feeding in bed? Um, how often are you getting up at night? What's your soothing strategies? Are you doing it standing? Are you doing it seated? Do you have a ball to bounce on? Absolutely. Um, Again, like how, how are you picking up baby from the ground? What is the crib set up? Like, um, what other tasks are you having to yeah. do in your day to day, like laundry or cooking or, you know, cleaning or whatever it is. Um, yeah. those are things that, again, that makes the biggest difference, at least from what I've seen long-term yes. in managing symptoms and getting people back to what they want to do. So if we don't address those, like right off the bat, we're kind of working, almost working against those things. Cause yeah. like you said, that pregnancy posture, um, it doesn't just go away once the nope. baby's out. So again, we have to kind of correct that in a sense, get your muscles all working together again and not just have you in this like anterior tilt, arch back, like Mm -hmm. abs hanging out, um, trying to fix everything. Cause that also doesn't help the muscles function optimally when you're in those positions. Oh yeah. And it would be like, just to put that into perspective, it would be like, if you committed suddenly, let's, let's use a non-pregnant person as an example, where you committed to working out seven days a week and you were whatever doing your protocol, but then eating like garbage, like that's not, (laughs) why would you put in that much work in the gym if you're not going to actually work to apply it? And I think, you know, on a, on a less like tough love (laughs) kind of sense, I think at least with uh, postpartum recovery specifically, it's important to learn not just what those movements are, but how to integrate them Um, and that's why I think accountability is so important because someone like a PT or a certified trainer would be able to see those movements and go, Ooh, let's, let's pretend like we're picking up the car seat and try that again, Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, just having it be all in the gym or, um, uh, in the facility on the training floor, uh, in PT and then going home and then, you know, still leaning over with your upper back to pick baby up out of the crib with zero core engagement. Mm -hmm. So important to just create awareness because awareness creates habits. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So the education piece too is, is huge, both in the like physical therapy space, as well as the personal trainer space. Like I think patients or clients have to realize like why they're doing things. What's the reason behind it? Like what happens if they don't do it that way versus they do. Um, and then one of the things I love too, that has kind of come out of this pandemic is telehealth. Mm -hmm. And so as a pelvic floor PT, telehealth is one of my favorite things to do because I have patients bring their computer 
into the nursery and practice picking up their baby right yes. now. Like you get to see the whole setup. Like Absolutely. I have them, like, or sometimes they bring their baby to clinic too, um, which is beneficial, yeah. but it's so great to see them in their home environments. Again, that is how we correct the things that they're doing on a day-to-day that are contributing to those symptoms. Yeah. And again, that's what makes the biggest difference long-term. You want your results to stay, you got to integrate it into your day-to-day. And right. it, it, to- it has to be a total change of lifestyle as with, you know, weight loss or working out or anything else you're doing in your, right. in your life. Like if you want this to become a habit that sticks, it's got to become your lifestyle. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, right. COVID has been really great for allowing us to see people in their home environment and really addressing more of those functional, functional aspects, um, as opposed well, to trying to it, mimic it in the clinic. Yeah. And I mean, it's so great too, just because now like the reach is so much wider. I mean, I personally, I started my business a year before the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and I was based online initially. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I just, I love I love that I'm able to help people wherever they're at without, you know, the restriction of, Oh, sorry, you don't live in my city. Sorry. Yeah. That's, that's one benefit I love. Well, do you mind if I um, ask you a couple questions about um, just like FAQs from clients, people on IG, let's put it all here (laughs) in one spot. Okay. The number one question I get um, lately has been, do I need to hold my core when I'm standing, like doing dishes or running? And I know what my answer is, but I would love to hear it from your perspective. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So I typically tell people like, if you're having to activate your muscles, um, like the entire time you're doing a task, it, no, <laughs> that's just, that should not be necessary. It's not sustainable. <laughs> right. Right. And it's not sustainable. Yeah. Like if you are trying to hold your core or hold your pelvic floor, when you're running, for instance, I hear a lot of people tell me that they're yes, like, I'm really yes. trying to like hold my core, like hold my pelvic floor when I'm running and I'm still leaking. Like, yeah, because yeah. that's not muscles should be able, we kind of mentioned it earlier. They should be able to dynamically move. That yeah. is like how muscles, they have to go through this shortening and this kind of lengthening phase. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we shouldn't have to do those things depending on where you are in like your postpartum recovery or kind of what you're dealing with, you may need to for short periods of times or for specific instances, like, you know, you're going to pick up a heavy car seat. You may need to actively think about bracing that core and protecting that pelvic floor so that you don't get that downward pressure that then causes leakage or those prolapse symptoms. Um, but again, if we can kind of change the way you're doing things, if we actually increase your, your muscle tone, like we make your muscles stronger then your resting tone is better and more supportive. Yeah. Um, so short answer here is no, you shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. Long answer, um, is again, of course, there's always a caveat and yep. it may depend on the person and you may have to add a little bit of emphasis and focus, but yeah. if, if, if you've got nothing else going on, like if you don't have any symptoms, like please do not, you know, just squeeze your core and pelvic floor with like every activity you do. You're just, yeah. you're yeah. just going to give yourself some problems. Oh yeah. You're just going to, uh, well, it's like, um, a muscle that's tight is not a functional muscle. So Correct. like tight is not always better. Like, no. you know, we got to basically this visual that I got when you were explaining that is like a swing. We have to allow our pelvic floor to swing one way and then swing the other way. If we put yeah. a wall right in the front, it's only going to swing one way. And then it's going to be right. really hard to get the momentum, to get that swing back up again, because yeah. there's no, there's no release. There's no yep. momentum. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Well, okay. And then uh, here was, here was the other question that I get a lot, which again, I know my answer. <laughs> Um, with a, with a diastasis specifically, mm-hmm. a lot of women worried about the width. Yes. I'm just going to stop there. I would love for you to just kind of go into yeah. width versus depth and, and what right. the impact of that is. Right. Yeah. So, um, just to kind of throw this out there width, typically people will say like a significant diastasis would be greater than two finger width. So like one to two finger between the walls of your abdominals, you come right in the middle. It's called your linea alba. Um, you're feeling basically like how far on either side, like where does that wall start? So again, one to two fingers, totally normal. Anything more than two fingers, that's where we would consider that kind of a diastasis. Now, in my professional opinion, I don't give a shit how far apart it is. If you can manage the pressure, yes. that's really <laughs> what I care about. 
So you could have no diastasis at rest and still have coning or doming or pressure loss. Mm -hmm. You could have a three finger diastasis at rest, which I do have someone who has that. um, And they have an umbilical hernia and she can still manage her pressure and carry her baby and do everything that she needs to do. That's me Um, to a T. Right. So, (laughs) so exactly. Um, it's really not about how far apart it is, as long as you can manage that pressure. And oftentimes if you are doing a correct transverse abdominis core engagement, your abs will actually come together when you do that contraction. So you will feel that separation actually decrease, um, if you are doing that correction or doing that contraction appropriately. Yeah. And over time, if you can load that tissue, it'll actually make it stronger. So again, you're decreasing your risk of coning, doming pressure loss. So yeah, the the width of the separation, I don't care as much about, I care whether you can control that pressure. Absolutely. Well, and I just, I think of like, I, I I've seen so many of like clients of mine will send me like a screenshot from like, a fitness ad or something. And is like, wait a minute, does this person have a separation? I'm like, that's a real deep separation. <laughs> like yeah. it's not very wide, but dang, that's deep. That is a lot of pressure mismanagement going on. Good for you for noticing. <laughs> that means yeah. you're learning something. Yes. But, and then there's people who, um, you know, I've seen some really awesome, uh, postpartum influencers, there's one woman in particular who has like a three or four finger width. She's super snatched. So you can see every little ridge on her abs. Um, and then when she engages, everything just closes up. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that is a great example of good pressure management because it's mm-hmm. not necessarily like the, the look of it. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely more, you know, can you actually do the thing without right. doming? And yeah. that also brings me to this too. Um, Wow. And now I lost my train of thought. Love that. Oh, I was just going to say, so basically what you're saying is people should be doing planks, but progressively. Correct. So you have permission. They're not off limits. As long as you can manage the pressure, if you're listening, it's going to be okay. Right. Right. And you should be able, even with the diastasis, you should be able to work your abs like laying down prone in quadruped, um, standing, you should be able to twist. You should be able to do anti-rotation. Um, you should be able to do planks. Like you should be able to work your abs in all different positions and all different variations, regardless of whether you have a diastasis or not. Again, the, the key really becomes, can you manage the pressure in your abdomen? And again, lots of people will have doming or coning, even if they don't have a diastasis at rest. Yeah. I mean, bodybuilders, I've seen plenty of like, you know, men who have massive, I think I just saw, I saw a picture of someone, it was like posted in a, a mom's postpartum group on Facebook. And it was like this bro Mm -hmm. with like the biggest separation I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. massive eight pack or whatever and a horrible umbilical hernia. And I'm like, I know how he got that. <laughs> like heavy yes. lifting with no pressure management. Ah. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point too, that diastasis does occur in people who have not had babies mm-hmm. and as well as in men. Um, and that's actually the worst, like the worst coning doming I see is yeah. In my, in my men who have like no idea how to engage their deep core muscles. Like they are just doing sit up after sit up after sit up, uh, crunches like that. Yes. They just love to They're do like, that. I don't want function. I want a rippling six right. pack. Right. And yeah, they've <laughs> got this like crazy coning doming that occurs. Unlike yeah. anything I see in my postpartum women. So oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of funny in that sense. Yeah. Well, and you know, I just, at least with my husband, he's very like, I don't, I don't need that. I don't want, (laughs) I don't need to fix my pelvic floor. I'm like, you're missing out. (laughs) It's a real good, real good journey over here. (laughs) It really is. It really is. And once you discover your pelvic floor, I mean, I've made a lot of content kind of related to this, but like, I didn't realize how many issues I had that were related to pelvic floor, like, uh, abdominal pain, like painful periods, constipation, um, recurrent UTIs, like all of those things were related to my pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. And once I, you know, got in tune with my pelvic floor and actually started treating my pelvic floor and getting it into a better, a better place, like 
I haven't had hardly any of those problems. That's like, brilliant news. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. Again, you're talking like painful periods. Like I don't get period cramps anymore. Like what the heck? And that related to the pelvic floor. Um, you know, I haven't had a UTI in a year and a half because again, pelvic floor. And that was something I would get like, you know, a couple a year. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of crazy. Like once you connect with your pelvic floor, there are so many, uh, unexpected, fantastic side effects. Of, yeah. Of getting in tune with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have people who come back and they're like, I've had back pain for like 10 years and just starting to work. Like I don't have back pain anymore. Um, and again, that's just from working on their pelvic floor. Yeah. So your core, it's like your core is the, it's the engine of the car. If there's pieces mm-hmm. that are not Powerhouse. working correctly, you know, it's everything else is going to kind of, I don't know, fall apart <laughs> at mm-hmm. some, some points or another. I mean, I just yeah. think it's crazy. I wish there was more focus on the core, but in a way that was helpful and functional versus like going to do a quote core workout when really it's just an ab workout and it's like yeah. 60 minutes of rectus abdominis and obliques. And you're like pumping up these muscles. Meanwhile, everything inside is like, Yeah, no, you bring up a really good point. The core is not just your abdominal muscles. Your core is a system and it works with the abdominals, your back extensors, your pelvic floor, your diaphragm, even people don't think about it, but like your diaphragm makes up that core container as well. So rib mobility is going to affect your back pain and your, you know, your mid back tightness and all that. Right. And like how you breathe, um, impacts how much strength you generate in your core. Who knew? Um, Who knew? I I feel like everybody listening to this is like, this is so much science. (laughs) I'm like super excited that someone else is equally excited about rib mobility. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. I know. But I do like, I will say I, because I I nerd out obviously. And I like geek out with my patients too on this stuff. And most of them very rarely have I had a patient, like, you know, not seem interested, but most of them are like, wow, that is really cool. Like I had no idea. And they go home and they like, you know, they tell their partners or like explain (laughs) it to their friends. Um, because again, it's just like, no one teaches us these things. And this, at least in my mind, like this should be, you know, like fifth grade health education. We should start teaching this stuff. Like when we start teaching the growth and development courses, like when you start learning about like your period, like you should learn about your pelvic floor and like how yes. your bladder works with it and your bowels and your vagina and all of that. Yeah. Like, you really should. Just wanted to take a second to let you know that in this upcoming portion for the following two or three minutes, there is going to be some mention of sexual trauma and how it manifests in the body. And if that is a trigger for you, I recommend you fast forward a couple minutes to the end. <laughs> And also just the fact, like, just on a completely separate note here, like, also the fact that, like, you know, if you've had trigger warning, if you've had some sort of, like, sexual abuse in the past, like, you can hold a lot of trauma in your pelvic floor, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, can, the body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're going to grow up as an adult with maybe these, like, unidentified, maybe you aren't pregnant or have never had a baby, but you have all the, you know, these crazy, like a hyper tonality and you've got massive tailbone pain and burning all the time. And you can't figure out why your body could be holding trauma too. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's, I think connecting with your pelvic floor specifically for a woman is very empowering. Um, I mean, I'm a survivor of abuse. Um, and it was when I was pretty young, but I had just gone through puberty too. Like it was just a really, it was a, Ooh, it was a whirlwind of a time. And I think like having this experience and, you know, being able to go through two pregnancies and now help women, you know, learn these sorts of things about themselves. It's so empowering to feel like you actually, you have some control specifically over the part that makes you uniquely, you know, a mother. (laughs) Like, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that's just, it's such a, I don't even know where I'm going with this. It's just, it's, it's something to note too. I think we Mm -hmm. just kind of discount, um, where our body can hold trauma too. Right. Yeah. And I tell people that as well. Um, you know, people tend to hold not just trauma, but like stress, anxiety, we, 
we will hold it, um, especially as women, like in our abdomen, in our pelvic floor, like, Mm -hmm. and I always tell people it's because at least I, I think it's because like women don't have time to like show weakness or pain. Like, especially if you're a mom or a a working woman, like you got to go, you know, you're expected to like work your full-time job and do all of the household things and take care of the kids. Like you don't have time for people to know that you're in pain or having these problems. Um, and so we mask it in the, in the pelvic floor and the abdomen, because not a lot of people can tell versus some other people carry, you know, their stress, their trauma, like in their neck and their shoulders. And those are the people you can tell they're like, you know, their, their shoulders are like up to their ears and they're like, they look uncomfortable moving. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, and there's the also be said too, like, you know, people who hold their tension in their shoulders, that also affects the jaw. The jaw is a sphincter, just like your pelvic floor. And so, you know, if your jaw is tight and you're like a, a chronic clencher, it mm-hmm. could be indicative that you may also have a tight pelvic floor. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, it's worth looking into like just the mental health aspect of that. Like if we're talking about stress and the pelvic floor, like there's a, there's a whole other aspect to that. Like, <laughs> Do you, do you find that, um, you're, the majority are overly tight or lacking strength and are, are weak and loose in the mm. pelvic floor? Yeah. Um, most have an overactive pelvic floor or a, a pressure management impairment. So those yeah. are typically how I classify my patients. They could have also a weak pelvic floor. Um, but that is like super, super, like those are people right. who, you know, had like a really, Um, you know, maybe they had like a lot of tearing in birth and there's like no muscle activation. Um, cause even if you have torn, like chances are, if you have trauma in that area, like a a muscle tear during birth, your pelvic floor is like, it just like tightens up again to try to protect. Um, Well, yeah. And it's a scar tissue and everything else, you know, it's not going to have as much tension. Right. You know, if you, like if you tore a quad muscle, it's going to have some severe tightness in that. Yeah. Yeah. So typically I see patients, it's more of like an overactive pelvic floor, non-relaxing pelvic floor, or again, kind of like that pressure impairment where they're bearing down on their pelvic floor when they should be kind of lifting up, contracting. Um, yeah. If they, you know, pushed for two, three, four hours, which some, some doctors will let you do then those are the people with like a super, super weak pelvic floor. Cause they've just basically bared down, stretched the heck out of those muscles and they're yeah. like not functional anymore. Right. And I, again, just like looping back, like the fact that like women are in labor for all this time after having, you know, a little human head pushing down on everything <laughs> for <laughs> months. And then you <laughs> literally, a human child comes out of a very small orifice. Your muscles have to stretch. Like if you're just thinking about the logistics, mm-hmm. it's insane. Yeah. And the fact that people are stressing themselves or putting pressure on others to hurry up and snap back, they can just fuck right off. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm like, you just did an amazing thing. And even people even people who have C-sections, you know, there's still trauma in the pelvic floor, even Mm -hmm. if, even if they didn't necessarily come out vaginally, because again, pressure system, you're cutting open the part of the core. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big mystifying thing too, that, oh, well, people who had C-sections aren't as, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Susceptible to pelvic floor problems. Yeah. I mean, those are the people I actually probably see more. Yeah. Well, scar tissue and like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't know if y'all listening have actually seen like an infographic of how many layers of tissue and muscle they have to cut through in order to grab that baby. Mm-hmm. Girl, I would never want to electively do that if I didn't have to. That's just, it's a, Ooh. it's like taking a major trauma and making it more traumatic, which is why yeah. C-section recovery is longer. Right. That's a reason. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy that they do that. And it's just like blows my mind too. Again, when we bring it back to, you know, any other like muscle tear or injury to your body, um, it, they give a mu- much more realistic time frame. Right. but a C-section, they just like cut through everything, all of your muscles, all of the fascia, all the way into everything. your uterus, a gaping hole. <laughs> right. And then they're like, again, the eight weeks, you're good. You're good. All right. Great. Um, like what? what? Again, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just, 
two months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A- yeah. You, you know, you tear your ACL and you get an ACL reconstruction. You're looking like a year recovery yeah. as with any other At surgery. Least. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that just like, again, it just blows my mind and it just goes to show how much work we still have to do in terms of yep. just getting people access yes. to the care that they deserve and making sure that they're, you know, being seen by the providers they need to see. If, if yeah. every ob just like referred every single patient to pelvic floor PT for at least an eval, right. the, like the maternal mortality and morbidity would be totally different in this country yep. just by referring, just by referring for yep. an initial eval. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, because awareness is everything. I mean, at the very least, it gives you kind of a jumping off point to understand, like, do I need help? Is this something that I can manage on my own? Typically, mm-hmm. I mean, if the resources are there, we should just make this standard for everybody because regardless of whether or not you had like the smoothest birth and the easiest recovery, mm-hmm. you had trauma to yeah. a very important piece of your body like there should be some sort of follow-up and the fact that it just completely drops off after it's like, Oh, you're not bleeding. Oh, all right. Well, uh, maybe use a dilator. So your, you know, your skin isn't as tight. So sex isn't painful and good luck. Bye. That's it. Great. Great. Yeah. There's like not, there's not much. Um, and I will say in 20, I think it was 2019, it was passed. I'm pretty sure it was set to go into play in 2020, but California did pass um, that all insurance companies have to cover a postpartum evaluation by a pelvic floor PT, just mm. the eval, <laughs> but that is a step in the right That's direction. A, I mean, it's a pretty major step considering how behind we are. Right. Exactly. Cause you look at, I mean, France is, I feel like always the country that we compare to the most in the pelvic yeah. PT world. Like in France, they have pelvic floor PTs, like in the hospital, Yep. you start seeing one, like I mean, they may even have them during your birth and then you start working with one right away and you are automatically getting six weeks of pelvic floor PT. There's, I just don't understand where this discrepancy, like, how is this even happening? I'm going to have to do some like massive research on mm-hmm. just like the politics side of this, because I mean, you look at healthcare overseas, I mean, specifically for, um, just for the birth experience and beyond. And I'm like, well, no wonder, <laughs> like, no wonder we're like, you know, now all of a sudden our mortality rates are skyrocketing and there's other mm-hmm. countries that are improving vastly and quickly right. over time. Meanwhile, right. you know, the greatest country in the world air quotes is, you know, struggling to just give basic care to mothers. Yeah. 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 Our maternal mortality, um, so like the number of women who die and then morbidity, the, the number of women who have, you know, difficulties or problems yep. that impact what they can do has increased, um, significantly one since 2018 or 2019. Yep. So it's increased in the last couple of years, but also in the last 30 years, it has yeah. significantly increased in this country. Whereas every other developing and first world country in the world has seen improvements. Yep. I think uh, this is, this is my two cents. Uh, I mean, this, I'm not saying this is fact. This is more of my observation and I will have to do more research, but I think specifically that that decline since 2018 is partially to do with, um, the black and Brown community because of the black lives matter movement. I mean, there is a huge disparity for women of color who have babies because there's all of these insane misconceptions, which we can dive into on another day. Cause that's Ooh, a, whole like, that could be a whole other, other hour, <laughs> that, another three hours at yes. minimum. And, you know, it's just like the fact that because of black lives matter movement happening and these injustices still continuing to happen, women feel more comfortable having babies at home, which, I mean, I'd have to look at the numbers. It seems like, I'm not sure if it's like improving uh, that rate or not uh, by Mm -hmm. having, um, you know, a doula. I know most experiences at least seem to be calmer from what I've been seeing, at least from um, just reading I guess about people in their, their personal experiences versus black women going to a hospital for care. Um, so I mean, at home births, but then there's, there's risk for that too. If you can't feel like you trust the system, 
you don't really have anybody in the medical field that can help you through your birth experience because they're not advocating for you as a human being. So that's also fucked. (laughs) So, I mean, I would love to dive into that actually um, on another day. We'll do that. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds good. good. I mean, I got so much to say about it. It's yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, (laughs) I'm glad we can agree and I'm glad that we can bring light to a topic that definitely needs to be expanded upon. So we will set a day for another time to be able to do that. Cause I would actually love to pick that apart with you. Right, um, well, we are running out of time, which I really wish we weren't. Cause this has been really eye opening and awesome. Um, what would you say as just kind of a last minute, like, I guess some tips, some basic tips for someone who is maybe concerned about their pelvic floor. What are some tangible steps that they can do aside from seeing like a PT and, and going and taking those steps? Is there anything that we should be researching or practicing at home to start to help us in the meantime? Great question. So yeah, if you can find a pelvic floor physical therapist, that is a great option for you. A lot of us online offer, um, virtual consults. So that is an option, you know, depending on where you are in the world, I definitely offer them. So if you've got pelvic floor questions, feel free to reach out. If you cannot access a pelvic floor PT, which is a big problem for a lot of people in this country, again, depending on the area that you're at, there are some areas that have like none and then some that have a lot. Um, so if you're in an area that has like none in the closest pelvic floor PTs, you know, hours away, start one by following people on Instagram. I am at Lindsay Duran fitness on Instagram. And so I offer a lot of education tips, knowledge, um, things that you just need to know, but start getting connected to your pelvic floor. So first step, look at your pelvic floor, like get a mirror, get down, like, look, just see how it moves. Watch yourself breathe while you're watching your pelvic floor. I'll um, admit I've never, I've never done that. I feel oh like gosh. this is, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah. Homework Watch for yourself. everyone. Right. Oh um, this is going to sound like a little bit, uh, almost taboo in a sense, but like watch yourself masturbate, watch what happens like to the muscles. Um, in those instances, you will be like shocked. You'll be like, Oh my God. I, like, I, no idea. <laughs> I did. I did an episode, um, called the vagina episode, uh, not uh-huh. too long ago and like talked about all of, all of the crazy changes that happen that you can externally see yes. during arousal, et cetera. Yes. So catch up on that episode too, (laughs) if you haven't already. So exactly. Um, so yeah, connect with your pelvic floor, look at it, uh, touch it, feel it, watch again, that breath, start working on deep belly breathing, start to see if you can feel that pelvic floor, you know, start to descend as you take a nice big belly breath, inhale, if you're seated, can you feel your perineum kind of drop down into the seat as you exhale? Does it kind of gently lift? Um, just like I said, kind of connect to your pelvic floor, check in with those muscles. And again, they're like kind of taboo muscles. That's why I always tell people, like, if you're comfortable with it, or if you can like, you know, muster up the courage, like look at your muscles. (laughs) Well, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing to be ashamed of. And actually the more we know, the more empowered we feel. And I just think that at the end of the day is the most important thing to understand is that our, our bodies are completely different and unique, but this nobody, nobody doesn't have a pelvic floor. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's up to you. This is your accountability to be able to, to explore that. I think that's so well put. Yes, absolutely. Get in touch with your pelvic floor, write her a note, (laughs) send send her a, send her a snap. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Exactly. I love that so much. So, um, do you, where would people be able to connect with you best? You said your IG handle, if you could say it one more time, I will drop it in the show notes. Sounds good. Yep. Instagram is definitely the best way to connect with me. I'm on Instagram at Lindsay Durand fitness. Um, so that is definitely the best way to connect with me. I am on Twitter and Facebook as well, um, as TikTok, but Instagram is definitely where you're going to find me the most. Um, I'm the most responsive there. So, you know, slide into those DMs, send me an email, send me a text. 
Um, I'm usually pretty responsive, but especially if you reach out to me on Instagram. Yes. Uh, you know, now, now you don't have to be afraid to ask vagina questions and mm-hmm. pelvic floor questions and even butthole questions. Oh, <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the amount of questions I get from people. Um, I'll just give this like one little note. One time I was in clinic and this woman was describing to me all the ways that she has to like manually go inside her rectum to like clear out her stool. And I was just sitting there and I was like, this is my life. And I love it. Yeah, I was like, I talk to people about how they poop and like what they do to get their poop out. And like, yeah, I'm cool with it. but that's, this is why it's so important. You got to find yeah. the right people, connect with the right people. So then you right. can talk about these things because they're normal, but shouldn't be normalized to continue to struggle. So I Correct. think you know, so important to understand yep. we're all in this together. And yes. anytime you need to talk about any of the things that you wouldn't want to tell your mother-in-law or your husband, you just go on over to Instagram yep, do it. and send her a DM. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time to just talk about my favorite topic in the world. Yes. And um, I just want to say thank you so much to those of you listening. And as always, be bold, be fit. <laughs>